In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And so today we're joined by Rodney Ho, the AJC's entertainment writer. He covers the film industry, TV industry. He covers basically the industry that's that's kind of come under uh, threat lately uh, by the uh, the signing of the anti-abortion heartbeat law. Thanks for joining us, Rodney. Well, thank you, Greg. Well, you kicked it off this week with uh, the first word of Netflix's statement about the heartbeat bill. They became the first major production company. We had seen celebrities and producers and and studio and, and some you know some independent studios independent studios come out, but we hadn't heard from any of the major Hollywood studios until. Right earlier uh, until a couple days ago. Yeah, it's interesting. The Motion Picture Association of America released a a really, you know, adenine statement a few weeks ago just saying that we're like watching the developments of what's going on. And that was pretty much all we got out of the major studios. And Netflix, you know, really came out with a strong statement. I mean, they they went, you know, they, they referenced women's rights and they said they would help, you know, fight the law very it was very it was very similar to what some of the independent producers had had said and that they would support any if any of their current you know they're going to keep working in Georgia for now but if any of their people don't want to work you know work in Georgia they were fine with that and they also said they would support ACLU and, and yeah that that was fighting this legislation yeah in court. I mean interestingly that did lead to yeah a cavalcade of other Warner Brothers uh, Warner Media the AT&T the day after you know Bob Iger talked to Reuters and said that, you know, it would be very difficult for us to work there because so many of their creative people wouldn't want to work in Georgia if that if it actually was enacted. It was it wasn't he wasn't really talking from a policy standpoint. I think he was talking more from a logistical standpoint Mm -hmm. because, you know, he has to accommodate his creatives. I mean, he can't just ignore what you know, they create the content for him. He can't ignore them completely, even if his financial people say, please go to Georgia because you're getting a huge tax credit. You know. Yeah, but in a sense, Netflix kind of paved the way in that because you did hear from Disney. You know, oh yeah, yesterday it was like it was unbelievable. It was like every single, almost every single studio followed each other within a few hours of each other. They all released very similar statements. None of them were as as nearly as aggressive as uh, as Netflix's statement. So what's behind this? Because it's been I don't know a month or so since yeah. this law was passed. We wrote a, a stories about how corporate heavyweights, let's say Coke and Delta, Home Depot, the companies that came out against religious liberty have been silent about about these abortion restrictions, which is par for the right. course, which is kind of normal for these companies. And Hollywood for a while had also been, aside from like Alyssa Milano and a few celebrities, for the most part, you hadn't heard much until the law was signed. And, in, and then even then, it's been 
a month-long gap since the law was signed, and now we're hearing. Yeah, it's been sort of trickling upward. I think the producers, you know, obviously the actors are important, but not quite as important as the Ron Howards, who used to be an actor, but now is a producer, or J.J. Abrams, or Dick Wolf. These are the people who make the content. If, they, if they're the ones telling the CEOs, hey, we don't want to work in Georgia, then they have some issues. So the, I think the... I think the companies had no choice but to say something, but they hedged their bets. I mean, none of them said we're definitely pulling out in 2020. They all kind of said, you know, we'll reassess, we'll reconsider. They used, you know, couched their terms very Rethink. carefully. Exactly. They didn't say outright, you know, we're out, um, which is kind of a way to sort of uh, cover their bases. And that's know? really interesting because we've heard behind the scenes from studio executives, of, you know, all along, waiting for this to get into the legal system so that it provides them some cover because a lot of these statements say if the law takes effect, yes. which we know it won't take effect in January of next year because there's a certain legal challenge and even the law's most ardent supporters know that it will be blocked in the courts. And that's yeah, it's the, all posturing. Everything happening in, in that sense is posturing on both sides because Kemp knows that's going to happen as well and he kind of is figuring Hollywood's not going to pull out because the law's not going to go into effect. Um, at the same time, Hollywood is, yeah, is trying to sort of, you know, accommodate their creative people without ever having to change, hopefully, their, you know, their incentive to come here. That being said, though, there are, even though, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that this bill does take effect in January yes. and that all these companies have to, quote unquote, rethink their strategy in Georgia, there has been real damage. You talked to Chris Bagwell. Yeah, he lost a Netflix movie um, and a couple of, yeah, a couple of people officially announced they were leaving Kristen Wiig's movie is not going to come here in that, um, I think it was an Amazon Prime mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. series. The Power. The Power is not going to come here. Both of them, curiously, you know, led by female executive producers who said we're not going. And Bagwell um, runs EUE Screen Gyms. Oh, here, yeah. And, that's a, and that was a 30 million or so production. Yeah, he said 300 people, you know, were going to work on this movie. Um, and what we keep on hearing um, from the studio executives is is those are the things we've we know yeah. we've heard of that the, the actors go public with them or the studio executives go public. What they're worried about is the calls they they never get because of this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there'll, there'll be producers now who are probably going to take Georgia off and we're going to go to Vancouver or we'll go to you know New York or stay in L.A. or, or exactly they're just going to make they're just going to wipe us off the slate and we'll never know I mean we'll see how many productions currently there are 32 active productions going on in Georgia which is pretty typical um, and we'll see like in three or four months if that drops to like 20 we know something has happened you know I have typically by now we would probably have heard at least one or two broadcast series you know that have done pilots here would have committed to coming to Georgia but I haven't heard anything that's interesting it, but of course money talks and one of the main reasons were why these companies are very reluctant to pull out completely is the most lucrative tax credit in, in the nation. It is comparably, you know, it's, there are some that are also similar, but I think we make it very easy. I think the, the process is simple and it's uncapped, which it's means uncapped. that Marvel can come in with a billion dollar, you know, budget and get a 30 percent discount. It's like, great. And while other states like, you know, we cap our entire, you know, some of them are capping their entire you know, tax credit at like 400 million or 500 million and Avengers alone would eat up most of that. Yeah. And let, let's talk about Governor Kemp's response to all this, because he's been walking a fine line, to, to, to say the least. Um, he, he'd always said that he fights for Georgia values, not Hollywood values. That was kind of his standard line. But at the Republican state convention, he took it a step further and, and said that we'll continue to fight for the, the, the sanctity of life, even if it makes C-list celebrities squawk. That got under a lot of people in Hollywood's skin, I'm sure, because some of these people 
some of these people were lesser known uh, uh, Hollywood yeah. figures. Look, and- Alyssa Milano is arguably a C-lister. Uh, sorry, Alyssa. Um, but Sean Penn certainly isn't. And, uh, you know, Mia Farrow was on the list as well as, you know, Gabrielle Union. Some of these are, you know. Ron Howard, as you mentioned. Yeah, earlier. exactly. There are plenty. Yeah, Jason Bateman, you know, of Ozark. I mean, these are big names. Uh, these are not C-listers. So I, I think he miscalculated. I mean, he was just playing to the crowd maybe, you know. And some of these actors, like you mentioned, Jason Bateman is filming, and Alyssa Milano are filming in Georgia right now. Yes, even as this go this 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 continues. So, it's interesting. I asked Alyssa Milano at, at one of her events um, in Atlanta why she was and how she was treading that line. And she said, "Well, I'm contractually obligated, but that doesn't necessarily mean her next contract contract will have that obligation." So, as you said, there, this could th- there's a question about lasting reputational damage to Georgia. Right. Yeah. We, we've we've talked to, you know, Chris Bagwell said, I mean, this is a lot. They've built up a lot of goodwill over 11 years, and this is eating away at that goodwill that Nathan Deal, you know, and his predecessor, both Sonny Perdue, they both worked really hard to accommodate Hollywood. Um, and, uh, you know, the, you knew about the Religious Liberty Bill and him, you know, vetoing. deal. Yeah. And deal vetoing it. Yeah. And we had we had many of the same. It's interesting because you could go go back to 2016 and see some of the same language being used in these statements. Um, because yes. Back then, Disney and Marvel both uh, threatened to boycott Georgia for religious liberty passed. A number of other companies did, too. That was the big difference. Now it's mostly Hollywood. In 16, it was Salesforce. Uh, there, was, there was critical statements from Delta and Home Depot and Coca-Cola and, and some you know, big-name Atlanta companies as well. So we're, but but you, you you there is some some you can draw a line between the statements between Hollywood back in sixteen and now as well. Exactly, but it's not and obviously you know you, we saw in the news today in the front page of the AJC you know Vesco is going to put five hundred jobs into Midtown so clearly it's not necessarily impacting in other areas. Yeah, and Vesco is a financial services company that's long been based here and it's growing here and it's going to continue to put more more capital and build a new headquarters in Midtown. Right. Um, and Camp and Governor Kemp is is kind of saying, "Hey, you know, uh, that's that's the sort of subtle response to all the talk about Hollywood about Georgia still growing jobs." Now, of course, 500 jobs here, 300 jobs there. They're important and they're and they're big they're big deals in Atlanta, but they're also drops in the bucket in terms of the entire state economy. Sure, sure. The the film industry is about 90,000 jobs. And what's really um, an important part of the story that you've been telling is that it's not just those celebrities. It's the caterers, the, the film editors, the makeup artists, the hairdressers, all these other people who perform super, you know, super important tasks behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Stacey Abrams has brought that up in her, her Twitter feed about losing all those jobs. You know, it's a lot of blue collar work, crew workers, um, yeah, middle class. These Some of these are regular. And, and when they get a TV series, a lot of these people have basically full time jobs. It's not just like a quick movie thing. And some of them do freelance and jump from project to project. But when you get a, you know, a, almost a year, like a Walking Dead job, you know, that's a full time gig and it's great. You know. I'm glad you mentioned Walking Dead because that's one of the most popular uh, TV shows. Yeah, it used to be. Well, that's good. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's still up there, though. But, but filmed, filmed in Atlanta, filmed right here in Georgia. Yes. Um, what did uh, what did its parent company AMC say about about all this? They waited a while. Yeah, they were near the end of the run of <laughs> studios yesterday. But they, yeah, they, they said the same thing everybody else is. But they own they actually own a studio here. They're one of the few production studios who actually purchased a studio. They were that committed to being here that they, they purchased one in Sonoy, and that's where Walking Dead is based. So even if Walking Dead ever goes away, they're gonna you know they have an incentive to keep shooting stuff 
here because they own the property now. That's interesting. So like side, you know, like a spinoff series and all that. Yeah. I mean, most of the other studios don't own anything. Sony doesn't own anything here, not even Marvel. I mean, that's not their studio. Pinewood is owned by Pinewood, you know? Yeah. Um, well, or, speaking or of Pinewood, guy, yeah. speaking, speak, speaking of Pinewood, um, Governor Kemp, uh, we, we talked about his reaction to this. We talked about his, his statement a, a couple weeks ago about C-list celebrities. But since then, he's been pretty quiet about Hollywood. He he um, he went on a closed door tour of the studios a couple days, like a week or so ago. That included the Georgia Film Academy, which is a state financed um, uh, film academy. Um, but you know, we've been asking him at each stop after each statement, "What's your comment on uh, Netflix, Warner Media, whatever?" And um, his flat keeps on, his spokesman keeps on pointing back to that press release they from a week ago yeah they haven't basically he hasn't said anything publicly since netflix came out so i'm curious to see what his thoughts are at this point and there are competing theories about that i mean one is that you know anything he does won't won't really help the situation probably not (laughs) another is that um his his allies you can say point to the fact that a lot of these um these hollywood producers were not supporters of his anyway a lot of them supported um, Stacey Abrams, a lot of the industry here in Georgia. Oh, it was very obvious. Yeah, they, they came out very strongly for Stacey. Yes, it was exactly. obvious. And thirdly, the, the really interesting thing, what really shone through to me, um, having been on the campaign trail and, and certainly at the Georgia Republican Convention in Savannah, was that a lot of his supporters could care less if Hollywood boycotts. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, these are people in, in further flung parts of Georgia yeah. where it just where the industry has made no no impact or little impact. Yeah, the reality is most of the jobs are in metro Atlanta. I mean, there's some in Savannah, but, you know, 95 percent of the production is in the 20 counties around Atlanta. Some of them are, you know, slightly outside, but not not by much. And that's where it gets interesting, because some of them, um, not many of elected officials publicly yet, but still see this very successful, what seems like a very successful tax credit as a, as a giveaway. Um, and so there's little incentive for him there, too, to start alienating his base, maybe by going on a full frontal uh, defense uh, of the film industry. That's true. I mean, he hasn't. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Absolutely. So what do you think happens? I mean, what are you watching next in, in this saga? I'm not sure what the next move is until we see a, a you know, some sort of legal, you know, defense, uh, you know, or some sort of uh, counter to the law itself. We have a few months, and I don't know when that's going to happen. I know there's some elements to this law that's a little different from some of the other states. So I think, you know, the personhood issue, I think, is something they're trying to address. It, are the studios, studio chiefs you've talked to the, in, in the local folks, are they heaving a sigh of relief that, that, that Netflix and the like have kind of taken this middle ground Saying they'll only rethink the strategy if the law takes effect. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think there's obviously everybody's just nervous about losing business, and they're just hoping this all kind of, uh, you know, blows over and that things will get back to normal. But obviously, we don't know what future legislation might upset the Hollywood types in yeah. the next couple of years. So this could just be like you know, as you mentioned, reputational sort of built up reputational damage. And to a point where, you know, like I said, there are going to be some creatives who, even if this thing doesn't pass, are just not going to want to work here regardless. And I guess that would extend to a swath of states all over the... Uh, yeah, it's true. Louisiana passed a similar bill, and they also have tax credits as well. But nobody has said much about Louisiana. It's not as big, you know, it's not nearly as big a business there as it is here. 
And so we, we are still kind of waiting to see what whether there's going to be any any bounce back or any blowback uh, in Louisiana. And as you mentioned, um, it'll be interesting to see if if when the lawsuit is filed, which is supposed to be later this summer, ACLU said it's it's its legal team is working on it. But there's there's they're they're in they did not have to file right when he signed right because it won't take effect until January. So they've got some time. Um, but it'll be interesting to see when that lawsuit is filed how the studios respond now that it's in the court system. You know, they, they can have public expressions of hoping that it gets blocked in the courts. They are probably going to say very, very little. They're, yeah. they're going to say nothing, is my guess, until until anything really happens concrete. But I guess it gives them a little bit more, more right. cover. Sure. Because now it's working through the legal system. It's not just it's not just kind of hanging out there. Oh, sure. No, there, there'll be, a, yeah. But again, we're going to hear probably very, very little from that. that it, I don't know how much more is, is going to happen from here on in. I, I don't know what, you know, like I said, we're going to lose some business and we'll see how Georgia, you know, how what happens in Georgia in terms of what, what projects come here and what, what don't. Well, you'll be watching it all for us at the AJC. Thank yep. you so much for joining us, Rodney. This is a great conversation. All right. Thanks, Greg. Now I'm joined by AJC producer extraordinaire and the, and the, and the mastermind behind this podcast, Bria Felician. How's it going, Bria? Oh, I'm good. I'm blushing now, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about everything that was going on with Michael Williams, former gubernatorial candidate. Yeah, so you might remember Michael Williams um, from last year's campaign. He was a state senator who ran as the basically the Trump of of the of the Georgia Republican race. Unfortunately for him, he wasn't the only candidate who ran with Trump's playbook because Brian Kemp and, and did as well. Uh, to much greater success. Uh, Williams ended up finishing in last place after a series of campaign stumps that ended most memorably with a deportation bus that he ra- he, that he tried to crisscross Georgia with, but it ended up breaking down on the side of a highway in North Georgia uh, to, his, to his chagrin. Well, um, shortly after that, he was uh, a few months um, after that, I should say, finished after his last place finish. He was charged with making a false report that computer servers were stolen from his campaign office. At the time, his campaign manager, Seth Weathers, said that it was a attack on uh, a political witch hunt was his quote, and he mocked local prosecutors for bringing charges. This is what Weathers said. Like they say, a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. Well, it looks like Michael Williams is the ham sandwich because he was indicted. And he has pleaded guilty to those charges um, a few days ago. He was sentenced to four years of probation, 120 hours of community service, and a $5,000 fine. Where do these charges stem from? Where do these charges come from? So they're issued in December by Hall County authorities, and they relate to a May 28 incident where Williams reported that his Gainesville office was burglarized. At the time, Seth Weathers, that campaign manager, said that $300,000 worth of computer servers were taken from the building. What he was charged with was lying to a GBI, a Georgia Bureau of Investigation agent, when he said he was at home in Forsyth County, not in the Gainesville area at the time of the purported burglary. And the indictment also accused him of making a false insurance claim related to those servers. We wrote a story about it shortly after. It was published a day after the alleged theft. And, and I remember writing that story and being very, very skeptical of, 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 of the uh, accusations. But in that story, Weathers said the servers were being used to mine cryptocurrency. He also said that Williams owned a cryptocurrency business and that the building he leased for the servers is also used to house his campaign office. So a lot of 
interesting campaign finance issues arise there. He said back then that the servers were not campaign property. Uh, he also brought a, at the time, he brought a CBS 46 crew um, on, on onto the property, which also raised some, it also was very interesting. Um, and, and at the time, uh, CBS 46 folks were asked whether this was politically motivated and whether it said, with all the crazy shenanigans that go on in politics, who knows? So that, that's, that's what the case they made back then. It definitely raised f- red flags to us in the media. It definitely raised flags to authorities, obviously, because not only do you have an indictment, but now you have this, this guilty plea. Yes, I was going to ask, what's next? He pled guilty. Well, his political career is over. He was he was in the state senator state senate all the way through January, so he never was removed from off office because that would take a vote. That meant that even during the special session they that we had in um, late last year, he was still in office. He is now no longer in office. He. He's been replaced by Greg Dolezal, a, a state senator from, from up in Forsyth County. Um, we have not seen him. We have not heard from him. Um, he, he was a, a, a he endorsed Governor Kemp back in the runoff, but he was not a, a highly placed surrogate. It's not like the two of them shared the stage very often. Um, and um, what you heard after he was indicted was silence from Pretty much everyone in, in Georgia Republican officialdom. No one wanted to come to his defense. No one wanted to say what a good guy he was because he had alienated so many people in the Georgia Republican Party. And the interesting thing about about Williams was he was always very conservative and and, and never afraid to kind of um, flout authority and 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 speak his mind. But he never he also wasn't this sort of publicity stunt king that he became during the campaign. And that was because Seth Weathers, his campaign manager, thought that by pulling off a series of things, and it wasn't just the deportation bus. Um, that was, you know, that's what he became probably best known for because the national media um, jumped all over it because it's kind of like catnip. But um, this is a guy who, who, who really started, who made his name as one of Trump's first state elected officials who endorsed him way back um, long before he became the Republican nominee, he trekked to Utah days before the 2016 vote to help rally fellow Mormons to Trump's side. He stumped across Georgia to back Trump. And um, and after he won that upset victory, a lot of people thought he, after Trump won the election, a lot of people thought Williams would run for Secretary of State or some other office, but he figured he'd go all in. But the stunt started shortly after that. He raffled off a deadly bump stock device after it was used in a mass shooting in Vegas. He enlisted the TV reality figure Dog the Bounty Hunter to promote his his campaign. He led a protest against a teacher who told the student to leave her classroom because he was wearing a T-shirt supporting Trump. He posed with a with a with a militia that had connections to white supremacist groups. So he did a that was just the start. That's just sort of the tip, tip of the iceberg. So he did a series of things that that yes they got some media attention. But it never, never really gained any traction, and certainly, these are things he'll be remembered for long, 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 long after, uh, after even he serves his probation. He'll always kind of be seen as the deportation bus guy. So after pleading guilty, what's next for him? He serves his four years of probation, which, which means, and, and he can probably serve less. We don't know the terms of the deal because the judge sealed them, so we're not exactly sure. Um, what that entails, but there's probably a valve in there. There's probably a, a way that he he can serve less of that probation f- um, for um, for for good behavior, so to speak. 
Um, but if he serves these, these years of probation, he avoids any prison time, and he can move on with his life. Um, he can still run for, for office again, as far as I know. As, as I know. Um, but it'll be really hard um, for him ever to, to seek office because this will be one of the this will be the first thing that anyone says about him. Um, and also, his Republican his his fellow Republicans who he's never that popular with have have completely ignored him and cast him as a sideshow. And and this really this really started happening even before the charges. I mean, I remember debates where he was universally ignored. No one would respond to his taunts. No one would respond. They mocked him. They mocked Seth Weathers. Um, at some debates, his opponents wouldn't even wouldn't even retort. You know, he would go after Casey Cagle, who was then the front runner, and Cagle would just completely ignore him and speak about whatever issue he wanted to speak about or attack someone else. Right. So that just it, it always reminds me, love or hate. What is it J.D. Salinger? Squalor is worse than love or hate. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and that's the sort of reaction he got near the end of the campaign. You almost, you almost felt kind of bad for him because his fellow Republican rivals were completely turning his back on him. And he would, and, and Michael Williams would even kind of get mad at the, at the, at the coverage we were giving him. And, and you know, we, we were not making, we were ignoring a lot of publicity stunts. Um, early on the campaign, we were writing about them. But later in the campaign, the national media were picking up on the publicity stunts and making a big deal about them. And, and we weren't because, because we knew he was, he, was, he was lagging in the polls and that it was hard enough to write about all the things that the, that the more credible candidates were doing than what Michael Williams was doing with the deportation bus or you name it. And there was an interaction we had where he, he was upset about that. And, and I said, well, well, Senator, also, our latest poll had you in fifth place, last place. Like, there's only so much media resources we have uh, to covering publicity stunts from, from a candidate who is, who is struggling so much in the polls. And to his credit, he had real issues, too. He just didn't accentuate them. I mean, he, he was the candidate who was most forceful on expanding medical marijuana, and he made a very passionate argument about that. He talked about the, the, the pains of mental health and, and pouring more funding into mental health because his father um, had, a, had a really tough battle with depression that ended in suicide. So he had, he had real things to say. It just got overshadowed by these stunts. I mean, there's no other way to put it, these publicity stunts. And so this is a... It's it's a, it's an unfortunate um, for him end to something to a campaign where you know if it had been run in a different way or, or managed in a different way he could have brought real real issues to the forefront but instead ended up becoming a sideshow and of course ended now with this with this guilty plea. It, this actually was very much a walk down memory lane, like a, a a look back at 2018 from a different perspective because I didn't have all the the insight that you did. So it's actually pretty cool to look back at 2018 now. <laughs> yeah, and, only, and, and you have to remember, it's only a year ago all this <laughs> stuff was happening. So imagine what we're going to be talking about in one year from now in the heat of the 2020 battle. Well, Bria, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. 
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.